We have everything, literally everything behind feature flags. Right now we have feature flags to help ourselves, to help customers. <laughs> like they just want to make some really cool apps that people love. They want to have good reviews. They want to make money. So in the end, everybody wants the same thing. The actual device running it is like a device on some in somebody's pocket. And if they had had the new stuff behind the feature flag, it would have you know it would have affected a handful of people, and then they turned it off, and it would never become a become a big thing. Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of CircleCI. I'm Edith Harva, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly. And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development. You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast. The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. Okay, so uh, what is the thing that you like least about continuous delivery? <laughs> so uh, I, I could start off because that's actually a... I feel passionate about what I like <laughs> least about CI, which is I hate setup. Uh, okay. Every single time I've ever done a CI system, it takes me like a day. Mm -hmm. it, it's always like a day. It always it feels like it should take like an hour or like mm -hmm. half an hour because it's always like, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. I wanted to just build and do the stuff, but it, it's just like it always takes. It always takes this way longer a, than I want. This is literally why I started Circle CI. <laughs> and uh, I would say that is by far every time my least favorite thing. It's always mm -hmm. like getting in the way of coding, it's always starting a project and it's always like I don't get to start because instead I am like installing agents mm -hmm. or trying to figure out why like a connection or an authentication problem or something like that. And so it's very, it's very, very passionate for me that it's, it's the setup costs. <laughs> the I, first I time it. that I started marketing CircleCI, mm -hmm. the email that I sent out to our initial list was like set up your CI in 20 seconds. Yeah. And that was massively effective. Yeah. <laughs> was it, was it true though? Um, in about, in about 40% of cases. <laughs> How about the rest of 60? Uh, it, it took, I mean, less than an hour. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was pretty straightforward to get it set up. There's no agents to install. We, 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 had the, we have infrastructure as well, <laughs> so it made it, it, was, it was nice and straightforward. Well, yeah. how, how about you? What's the thing you like least? The least I like when there's a new version of Xcode or a new SDK, and then it starts. You have to update oh the Mac hardware, you have to update the agent, then things start failing. Then if you have one app on one SDK version and another app on another version, things might start failing even worse. So it's becoming a huge mess. So I, I feel a lot of this pain. I feel like as fellow CI providers, <laughs> we like I feel, th I feel, this is one of the <laughs> nightmares of like your your build machine or your build image has to update because the technology updates all the time. But then you fuck over the existing customers <laughs> exactly. who, who were perfectly happy with how things were working. Yeah, and people expect in the next like 24 hours. Yeah, oh yeah, it's like, there. As, soon as, you, as soon as you make it, it's like, we, we, we had a process where, where building our Mac image took like three days. Um, and so there was no way we were gonna get anything done in the next 24 hours. No. Well, so Paul, now's a great time for our guests to introduce themselves. Let's do it. Hey, I'm Simina, Simina Passat. I'm a program manager in Visual Studio Mobile Center here at Microsoft. Hi, I'm uh, Joshua Weber. I'm a program manager here at Microsoft. I'm uh, working right now on the Mobile Center team, but I also uh, own the, the Hockey App product um, as we're basically uh, running them in parallel. So. Yeah, and we're, um, we're recording this from Microsoft Build, uh, Microsoft's big developer conference in Seattle, Washington. We're on the conference floor, and there's just a lot of excitement here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the conference has been really exciting so far. As as people who are not traditionally in the in the Microsoft world, mm -hmm. the uh, it's it's funny to see how different everything is in, in, in kind of Microsoft land. But also, you know, it sounds like quite a lot of it is, is the same. But from from a mobile perspective, what what, what 
what is uh, what is different in Microsoft World than than for the uh, for us Mac lovers? So I think the the interesting take for me is, uh, and I, I've been around at Microsoft for five years, so I guess I can say that. Uh, I've been on the inside seeing the transition. And I would say like, uh, we really do feel that, you know, any developer, wherever you are, it is really like the motto. Like, like we've stopped making decisions and we've stopped mm -hmm. having this conversation about like, oh, you know, Windows or Microsoft first. Mm -hmm. And instead it's really pivoted to really wherever developers are. And so when it comes to the mobile world, like we evaluate the mobile world, we see where the majority of the developers are and that's where we lead off. And so we always lead with the, the largest groups of, of of developers, we're always trying to find the largest value proposition that we can provide to those those developers, and I would say that hasn't always been the the quite the way that we've done decision making, but it definitely mm -hmm. has been for the last few years here at Microsoft. And so I would say that's the that's the part that I think is starting to come out at things like the Build Conference, where it's really starting to you're starting to see that in the actions that we take. And so the the CI CD that that that, that you guys sort of advocate mm -hmm. and and um, that your customers use is is that roughly the same as as the rest of the ecosystem? I think we took a really very non-Microsofty approach when we started because we were like, we want to meet the developers where they are today. And we said mobile developers are today on GitHub mm. and are mostly developing iOS uh, in Swift or Objective-C. So first iteration of the product while we were in preview was uh, connect with your GitHub repositories, uh, build and distribute your iOS apps, your Objective-C Swift apps, and then we started looking at uh, Android Java, at Xamarin, and at other solutions as well. Gotcha, and Xamarin is now part of, of that whole thing yes, since the absolutely. acquisition? Yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah, I think uh, we kind of merged with the Xamarin team. It's been uh, really exciting to see, like, especially I would say how passionate the Xamarin community has been as they've kind of folded into uh, the Microsoft stuff. And like the Xamarin solution is just like fantastically incredible. <laughs> like, like you can actually write like native UI and then have it like uh, deployed. It actually brings all this consistency across mm -hmm. all your platforms. It's like, uh, it's really exciting to see like uh, the stuff. And so we've really had the, I think the excitement and maybe some new energy. Xamarin was an external company. And so I think they brought in a lot of like uh, a very different perspective uh, to how we're doing the development. Mm -hmm. So it's been really fun to, to work with those guys and partner up with them. Yeah, I, I remember last year I was at Build and they announced that Xamarin mm -hmm. was now available to everybody and there's yeah. just like, people were literally cheering. <laughs> yeah. like, like there's just so much excitement around yeah. that amongst the developer community. Xamarin is, is a C-sharp solution, right? Mm -hmm. yes, and correct. so it's, it's interesting that you folks were doing non-Microsoft-y technologies and like it was the external company that brought in the, 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 the C-sharpness to, to mobile. Mm -hmm. And then Hockey was, a, was an acquisition as well, right? Yeah. yeah, Hockey App was an acquisition, I It was believe. in December 2014, I think. Yeah, I think maybe like two and a half years ago. Two and ago. a half years yeah. ago, mm -hmm. I think. Or was yeah. that before your time or how, how did that... Uh, no, it was, it was actually right at my time. So mm -hmm. uh, when the Hockey App team, I actually joined directly with the team team like when it merged in mm -hmm. um, and so that was really exciting too especially with the popularity and, and how common hockey app was I would mm -hmm. say they uh, especially for that iOS distribution market like they really focused in at the starting days they were very much an early uh, an early innovator in that space for distribution and so it was really interesting to see like uh, this like long history of uh, development and this long engagement with customers mm -hmm. um, that they built up kind of over time and for Hockey App, it's so exciting because most of their customers are people that we at Microsoft until now we didn't have contact with. Yeah. So it's because just because they're so small. Because they're small. Because they're they're just not traditional Microsoft developers, mm -hmm. right? They don't use C Sharp. There's many smaller companies, and it's just so exciting to work with them. Mm -hmm. well, what do What do you think is the difference between a the traditional Microsoft developer and not a traditional Microsoft developer? 
That's a good question. I think it has to, a lot to do with just the like the stack that you end mm -hmm. up. I mean, everybody talks about like you know the, the platform stack that you pick, mm -hmm. and like there's there's very definitely a Microsoft stack with a lot of tooling and a lot of richness. But it's not the only option out there. There's a lot of uh, other stacks, especially with the change in mobile development to the kind of these like brand new platforms for mm -hmm. Android and iOS, where they were brand new platforms. Nobody really knew at the start what they were doing. Like I talked to the founder of Hockey App Thomas and things like that. He talks about like being one of the first people to actually have the original iPhone and actually his co-founder Andreas was actually developing an iPhone app before they had even published the APIs. Wow. And so like being there like right at the thing, like nobody really understood the new stacks. And so like there's these entire ecosystems of tools and stuff that uh, have built up into those communities. And so I think uh, for a while, like the communities were, were very kind of separate and maybe independent. And I think uh, what's been happening over time is that these communities have been merging back together, right? Like. It, it turns out that we all have the same problems to solve and that uh, innovations into one set of tooling or area, something like CI or CD or this like DevOps movement is starting to, I think, bring these communities together where it's not so much just like uh, you make one platform choice and then that means that you have like seven other tool choices that just become obvious because that's the platform you are. And I think there's starting to become flexibility now where you can actually go out and pick the best tool for the job. The tools actually support multiple platforms. I think that's actually really great. I think that the it's bringing a lot more diversity to these different platforms where developers aren't just kind of like locked in because they made a platform choice at the start to all of the rest of the tooling. And now that they can actually kind of experiment and see some of the different perspectives that other people bring. Yeah, and in fact, you know, Microsoft developer or non-Microsoft, in the end, they have the same goal. Like, yeah. they just want to make some really cool apps that people love. They want to have good reviews. They want to make money. So in the end, everybody wants the same thing. Yeah. They have very much the same problems, right? The app is crashing for everybody. The app is crashing for everybody. That's right. So from the, um, from the perspective of CD in, mm -hmm. in, in, in the mobile space, I feel that there's a lot of, of weirdness specifically around the App Store. Um, and you, know, you, you mentioned reviews and, and the, you know, the, the fact that there's this um, the app review process. How does that affect uh, continuous delivery for, for people in, in the mobile space? It affects it quite a lot and that's why we think because you have to wait forever to get your app reviewed or not forever but quite long. It's really valuable to have a lot of iterations and we guide our product a lot around the build, measure, learn methodology. So we really think that once people start building the app, they want to um, test it with early testers, with their internal teams, maybe with alpha testers. They want to get feedback. They want to measure how people are uh, using it. And then at some point start doing uh, deployments to App Store and then get reviews and so on. And even once they deploy to the App Store and the app is out there, it doesn't mean that their build, measure, uh, learn stops, right? They still are doing alpha testing. All the games are always having some betas out there. So there's uh, we guide our product a lot around just making this continuous iteration cycle really really easy for mobile developers and just uh, yeah making them just immediately not have to wait a few hours or a few days but just shipping the apps as soon as possible in the hands of their testers mm -hmm. so I, w I was formerly uh, at TripIt which was the yeah. number one travel app so mm -hmm. it was something we were very serious about is that you're always iterating mm -hmm. and um, you, you, you try to get stuff in the hands of users whoever they are as soon as possible because user feedback is everything yeah, and I think in the world of web apps, it's much easier to do it because mm -hmm. you have so many tools. But for mobile, you actually have to take the app and put it on their device, which makes it a bit more challenging. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always found that was the the biggest like paradigm shift for me was always the when you move from web to mobile. In the web world, you you, you own everything. Like you own the server that the mm-hmm. web servers running on you own the back end like database systems you can like i mean like ultimately you could just reach out and ssh into them right and actually tech them but when you go into the mobile world there's so much of that experience now that's just outside of your control right mm-hmm. like the actual device running it is like a device on some in somebody's pocket like you you don't have any influence over that any control like you can't push stuff there or the app stores where you're actually delivering mechanisms it's not like your own server you're deploying to it's some external system that's controlled by like apple or microsoft or google and so you, you lose like a lot of that uh kind of ability to control and influence it and i think for mobile like the transition shift where you now have to start working with these external systems instead of like your own system is where you have so much more influence and stuff, I think results in a lot more kind of thinking about what the experience is, trying to define those like interfaces with those external systems to how to work best. So I, I'm not really sure I see such a, such a stark difference. The way that I see it is, is that both mobile and web have essentially two-phase I don't want to say two-phase commits because that's another thing, but like the, 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 there are two steps in 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 uh, in getting code in front of the customers. The first is getting the the bundle that includes that code into into customers' hands, and in that case, it's you know it's the app store or it's deployment to the server. Um, but the second phase is actually enabling the code. Feature flags, obviously, what what mm-hmm. either company does. Um, thanks, is, thanks for wearing your shirt today. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> no for once, you are wearing a long Starkly <laughs> T-shirt. That's it's a thing we do. Never mind. If people are taking that 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 strategy of the code doesn't change until you flip the flag, then the you know, the fact that there's an app store review or, or just you know code review on your on your web process uh, on your web. Uh, deployment process doesn't really look all that different. Interesting. That's what basically what my company launched Sharkly allows you to do is um, kind of separate out deployment from visibility, so you can push a build to the apps mm-hmm. um, to the app store and then selectively turn on features or turn them off if they're performing poorly. It's an interesting idea. You're kind of saying that by basically integrating in the kind of like feature flag type capability that you a little bit like kind of return that control back to where you can change the deployment to actually a little bit like on your terms as opposed to exactly, just like yeah, the actual yeah, deployment yeah. to the store. Yeah. So it kind of returns that a little bit to, it turns to the same, like I, I, I push the package to the web and then enable it. And I push the package to devices and then enable it. And, right. and I think for React Native world, it's even a bit more easy because you have technologies which mm-hmm. really do updates in the app without having to modify the binary and your like code push or other similar mm-hmm. technologies. You right, just right. go in the app and you get a new update and you had no idea that you had a new update. You just have a new uh, package. I remember this. Um, the, there was this giant fiasco a couple of years back. You might remember about the Amazon Kindle app that deleted all of your all of your books, uh-huh. and so Amazon launched it for for iOS, and then had to do had to get like special Apple permission to to launch a new version of the same app like the next day and get a fast track through. And if they had had the new stuff behind a feature flag, yeah. it would have you know it would have affected a handful of people, and then they turned it off, and it would never become a become a big thing. Yeah, and that's an approach we take with uh, the product that we are working on all the time. We mm-hmm. have everything, literally everything, behind feature flags. Oh, cool! Do you have features around helping customers do the same? No, the same right thing? now, no. Okay. Right now, we have feature flags to help ourselves to help customers. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about that. So, how, how do you how, do you have everything behind a feature flag, and what's kind of Microsoft's process around that? I think Microsoft's process is very different across different teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sure. in our team. 
Uh, the way we, we run the product is that we have a support chat window in the product uh, itself. So people ask us for features and things they want to try. So many times we just take one of the asks that appears every time and uh, we implement it. And then we ask the users that have asked for it, hey, can you give it a try? Is this what you expect? And then we have a few iterations on that feature flag capability. And then once it meets the bar, uh, we just release it to everybody. And if things go uh, wrong, we have a way to make sure that you know we don't delete everybody's apps or such things. What, what is the process when, when you decide that that's not going to become a feature? Many times we just shelf it for a while, like we just don't uh, release it. Sometimes we... So you, you have like hundreds of like half implemented features behind a feature flag that touches like one customer. We didn't start the product so long ago, okay, so okay. we didn't get time to get to hundreds. Oh. Uh, but it's very good for iterations and for just finding out, you know, if what we are working on for a few weeks is actually something that we should invest more months into or if yeah. we just should call it a nice experiment for now and rediscuss it at a later date. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you don't go back and delete those those features. Uh, we do we do at times. Uh, okay. We'll do like a um, stage rollout sometimes where we'll push a feature just to a few customers, yeah. especially since we have that uh, intercom uh, technique where they can actually talk to us. Yeah, it's very yeah, easy yeah. to collect people who are definitely oh, interested in Do you in actually the use intercom? Yeah, yeah we, we use it actually pretty heavily. Yeah, intercom is awesome. That way we can actually collect up like a small set of customers that are yeah. actually interested in this feature. And then we can actually deploy it out to those folks early. Mm. Um, and so it's like a little bit of a limited release that gives us a little bit of a time to kind of evaluate the initial response from those customers. At times they're just happy and so we roll it out fuller <laughs> at times they maybe feel like it's not the right solution and so we'll just continue to iterate uh, usually to get it I would say uh, it's been maybe rarer for us where we've decided to abandon a scenario I think that we tend to be pretty uh, tenacious in that like once we take on a, a scenario for a customer or, or feel that this is a real customer pain point I think we tend to be pretty uh, like let's keep at it we'll keep iterating we'll keep redefining mm -hmm. the product until it is I think it's I think it feels like maybe hard for us to give up on a on a user scenario and mm. just be like, no, that's not something that we're going to solve. So it, it sounds like in that case, your the user scenarios that you start to implement must be pretty must be pretty fully baked at that point. Yeah, I, I would say so. Like we, I think we usually feel like we're pretty confident by the time we take on uh, a user scenario because it is pretty costly. You mean by the time you start to like actually implement? Yeah, it? when you start like actually implementing, gotcha, actually spending okay. dev resources, I think oh. we like to feel like we're pretty confident on that. And so, do you have some uh, some phases before that where you're trying to invalidate your hypothesis mm -hmm. before it becomes a, a user story? Yeah, I would say that's always part of our process. I would say uh, it's always something that we're trying to get better at. Mm. Making product decisions is is difficult, and uh, trying to evaluate where you spend your resources is always a hardship. Um, so it's always something we strive to improve, but we do we do try to go through a phase in the start where we understand the right features to go after and the right investments to make. Mm -hmm. And so we do things like uh, customer interviews and uh, like even paper prototyping or customer development. Um, we really try to do a lot of that customer engagement where we just like talk to customers, understand their 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 pain points. What you're saying is there's, there's many places for a feature to die before you actually implement yes, it. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay. It dies so many times. Yeah. <laughs> for example, we just tried uh, we just tried something new yesterday, which mm -hmm. is that we had like a little mini dev uh, day where we actually brought in a lot of the uh, build developers yeah. uh, directly into the Microsoft campus yesterday. And then we just asked them questions about upcoming features, upcoming pain points um, to try to identify. And that's like a great way where we can try to filter out some of those 
those scenarios or pain points that maybe aren't worth further investigating mm -hmm. or try to get a little bit more confidence in our own uh, decisions that the ones that we are going to invest in are the right solutions for mm -hmm. us. Tell me, tell me about it. You, you laughed when you said you've killed many features. Do you want to? So with Mobile Center, we started less than one year ago. Yeah. So and we have Hockey App and Xamarin Test Cloud um, before. So Mobile Center is the new generation. So obviously we have a lot of things to catch up with, and we have also a lot of customers to talk to. So I think we had some good learnings around things we thought would be useful. For instance, uh, personally, we wanted to um, offer some experience around unit test, and we thought. We can do really uh, MVP and see what people are saying. And we found out that the MVP is actually not enough for people. So then we decided, OK, right now we don't have resources to invest heavily in everything what, are, what we should do. So for now, let's shelf it for a while. And when we can invest in it fully, we should go with a full-blown solution because just an MVP is not enough for people. Mm. Yeah, that's Too minimal. That, that, that's always hard. I mean, that's, it's that's not viable enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the hardest thing of a, 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 as a product manager is, you know, I love MVPs, but when are they just sometimes too, too M and not V? Exactly. <laughs> and so you, you, did you leave the unviable thing, the feature in, and some customers are still using it? And we left it for some customers that really wanted it and yeah. that still provide feedback. So for they said for them it's fine for now, uh, but we made sure not to roll it out to further customers because mm. you know you don't want to set the expectations and yeah, then to yeah, take yeah. it away. Well, well, one of the places we end up when, when, when that happens is we, we have it rolled out to a bunch of customers and then more customers hear about it by word of mouth or people tweet about it and then it's like, we're in this awkward situation mm -hmm. of should we then roll it out to another customer, especially if there's migration involved to the, to the newer version that we want to do later, as it ends up being really fucking awkward. I think now we have kind of the benefit that we are in preview. Mm -hmm. So we have still a lot of space to experiment and people actually are really excited that we experiment a lot and they understand. Nice. They're always, give me access to this, I want to try it out, it's fine if you take it away, just I want to see. I did a, I did a um, webinar with Ed Blankenship who runs an, uh, another group and in it he said like, hey, I actually have all these feature flags with new features. And people are so excited. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're like, I want to turn all this stuff on. Yeah, like, no. I really like enabling uh, allowing users to turn it on themselves. That's that's <laughs> what Visual Studio has now. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, nice. We've actually done that uh, that same self-enablement uh, process with Hockey App. Mm -hmm. uh, so we started in Hockey App uh, what we were calling a preseason program because mm -hmm. it's Hockey App, so everything <laughs> is uh, hockey oh, right. Yeah. Uh, so preseason was the early adopter program. And uh, I found like it was very successful because it, it allowed the customers who want to be with the latest, who maybe have a little bit more of the tolerance uh, for some of the unease or, or, yeah. or like the experimental type features. And so it gave them a way that they could self opt in to being on the latest and then seeing all the stuff. And I found that by allowing your kind of users to self to self select themselves into that community, I, mm -hmm. I think it actually worked out really well um, that they can try out these features in advance. I, th I think what I've found is it makes them feel a lot more um, community. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, uh, how big is the community? And so when, when you, you have one of these features, how many people are we talking who, who enable it? I think for uh, the preseason for Hockey App, I think it's a, a couple of thousand. Like, okay. Um, and ha how many total Hockey App users? I don't think we usually share the total okay. numbers. <laughs> okay. But, okay. Uh, um, yeah, I would say it's a, it's a, it's a much smaller, it's, it's a minority of the population. It's not a, it's not a major gotcha. uh, segment of the population. 
Joshua, I, I love puns. So what are some other code names that you can share from Hockey App? Oh, so uh, I guess <laughs> I, I think uh, we have like our internal environments. We also pick up the same thing. So we call them like uh, training uh, for you know, like, you know, you're practicing. I think we had the the preseason program. We had the rink, which is the external yeah, web right. app. It's a rink. Yeah, I think the uh, command line tool that we were using is Puck. Uh, so like we uh, have the logo, which is three pucks yeah, on top right. of each other. Mm-hmm. So uh, they definitely tried to keep with that hockey app theme. Do you have a go- do you have a goon somewhere? No, you know we don't. That's a that's a that's. And the that's Mac app missing. is a zamboni. Like the logo for the yeah. Mac app is a zamboni for the eyes. <laughs> that's pretty cute. So I really liked your idea actually about bringing the uh, the feature flag concept. I think into that CI/CD. Mm-hmm. I think uh, at least for myself, I usually think of CI/CD. I, mm-hmm. I get very caught up in the like the build infrastructure and yeah. the actual yeah. deployment of the package. But in reality, you know, we should take a step back and really look at the whole value uh, chain there, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, you do a code commit as a developer to have a new feature and then it needs to get into your customer's hands and you right, want that right. to really feed back mm-hmm. into your cycle. Yeah. The separation of CI and, and feature flags is, is a little bit unnecessary in a certain extent mm-hmm. that your one is is an attempt at like getting the code into into production and it's like you've got you've got this branch in, in your in your git repo which mm-hmm. is essentially the feature flag but it's an incredibly coarse feature flag um, and if you have people who and I, I've definitely heard of people doing this who do feature flags by you know git branches mm-hmm. and it ends up that, that it isn't possible for them to have multiple uh, axes in, in in which the the feature mm-hmm. flags are happening and so it, I think it's interesting that the the rapid deli- uh, delivery process, I, I think, is sort of based on on uh, or sort of emerged from this idea of continuous integration, like in the old meaning before before CI meant build servers, uh, when CI meant uh, we we start a new branch and then we we merge it like as soon as as humanly possible. Uh, sort of we call that feature flags now, I guess. I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, CI name means build servers. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, thanks for joining us today. Do you have any any final thoughts you want to share? It's been it's been fantastic talking to you guys. Like it was I said, really fun. I really like these like uh, different opinions from different uh, <laughs> communities, bringing everything together. Yeah, it's uh, been wonderful having uh, you here. Greg. Yeah, the collaboration's always uh, always exciting. I, I loved hearing about how Microsoft builds software because. Um, you know, it's always fun to talk to the people who are building yeah. software for people who build software. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very, uh, yeah, very Inception-like, where you're deploying <laughs> your stuff with your own stuff or your yeah. own CI systems building your mm-hmm. stuff. It's also fun for us because every team does it differently. Yeah. If I talk with yeah. friends from other teams, completely different uh, approach. Uh, I mean, best practices are always always there, but not everybody does the same thing. So it's always nice to talk to even with people inside Microsoft. Yeah, I think there's this perception that Microsoft, there's a Microsoft way, but what you're saying is there's more different teams that build it different ways. I mean, it's a huge company, right? So it's very difficult to converge all the people to do the exa- exact same thing. Yeah, uh, that's a good note to end on. Thank you again for coming by. Thank you. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Bigger of CircleCI, and Edith Harbaugh of LaunchDarkly. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. Mm-hmm.